Matthew chapter 20, verses 17, 18, and 19. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this word for giving it to us, for preserving it for us. And we look to you, O oh Lord, this morning that you would teach us and apply this word to our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. I don't know if anybody heard it. Um, there might actually might have been more than one of them, but on Tuesday... Uh, afternoon, the National Weather Service had issued a number of tornado warnings. Anybody hear those? Um, I, I, heard, I heard one in the afternoon. Uh, it was for um, uh, Moraine State Park and Clarion County and I think Westmoreland counties in, in Pennsylvania. You know, you're going down the road and you hear that thing, you know. And, and uh, they had announced that uh, there was a severe thunderstorm that was moving into the area at around 50 miles an hour and that it had the capability of producing tornadoes. It hadn't produced any tornadoes at, at that point that they knew of, but it had the capability of producing uh, tornadoes. And uh, my initial reaction to that was, I mean, I probably did the same thing all of you do when you hear things. I started to pray for the people that might be affected by it, just kind of to myself, and uh, prayed that no one would be harmed and that uh, there'd be minimal amounts of property damage. But uh, after a few moments of, of occupying my mind with those prayers, I couldn't help but to think of the text that we come to this morning. Um, you know, this text this morning also has powerful capabilities, actually explosive capabilities. Uh, the Apostle Paul calls this the power of God for salvation uh, to uh, all who believe. And oftentimes the Bible uh, uses the word for power that we get uh, the word dynamite from. Uh, it's this explosive power, if you will, uh, this text doesn't have necessarily have power to do uh, damage to buildings, but it has explosive power in the soul as it is received uh, by faith. Now, uh, this is the third time, some of you are probably already aware of this, but it's the third time that Matthew records Jesus saying these words to his disciples. And we might ask ourselves, why is that? That's why I've actually chosen to pause. Uh, initially, I was planning on just taking the rest of the chapter as a whole. Uh, there's some important linkage between uh, really these, uh, these three pericopes that we have here in the last part of the, the chapter, and I, I, I can't wait to show you the linkage between those things, but it kept nagging at me. We've heard this announcement by Matthew three times, and I think that we should pause and ask ourselves the question, uh, why? Why has Matthew repeated this three times, chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 20. And more importantly, what is he trying to communicate to us 
with this repetition. Um, thirdly, we might say, what makes these words so life transforming? These are just a few of the questions that I hope to answer this morning. And now with the help of the Holy Spirit, uh, let's begin. The, the, the first observation that I would have to share with you this morning uh, really concerns the knowledge of Jesus. Uh, and what I mean by that is Jesus is fully aware of the suffering that awaits him. He's, he's completely and fully aware of it. Uh, he knew that he would betray, be betrayed. He knew that he would be mocked. Uh, he knew he would be flogged, verse 19. He knew he'd be crucified. Uh, he knew he would be handed over the, the, the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. He knew he would get an unjust trial. He knew he would be handed over to Pontius Pilate. He knew from there he'd be ha basically handed over to the Gentiles. Uh, he knew that he would be crucified. He knew that he would die. He knew that he would endure the very wrath of God. Sometimes we just need to stop and pause about that. It's easy just to keep on going because we know the story so well. But could you imagine walking around with that knowledge? Sometimes we get word that we have to have major surgery and we can maybe begin to relate a little bit from that. It's, it's, it's very fearful. Even for the faithful, even for those who are walking with Jesus. Uh, we recognize that ultimately we're going to be okay, but what is, what's the suffering going to involve in the interim? It's very fearful. But imagine walking around with this. In fact, he's the only one that could possibly even understand this. We don't even have the faculties to understand this. And the, really the key point here is that Jesus walked around with this, yet he never wavered. We, we can get some understanding of the, the stress and the anxiety when we go to the Garden of Gethsemane and we see Jesus trembling to the point that the capillaries in his blood vessels burst and blood actually begins to pour out of the pores of his skin. Yet not as I will, Lord, as you will. Because for the joy that was placed before him, he went forward. He went forward. Let's, let's take a look at these these three passages. Um, we know that Jesus understood all these things because he states all these things. If you turn back to chapter 16, you should just only have to really page back maybe one or two pages back to chapter 16. I don't like to flip you all around in the Bible when I'm preaching, but sometimes, there's, sometimes there's, it's helpful to do so. We're going to do this a couple of times through the sermon. But if you look at chapter 16 and verse 21... You see these words, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed. And if you look at chapter 17 and verse 22, this is Matthew's second announcement. Jesus tells the disciples the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And if we go back again to our text, 
Uh, Jesus is say, says to his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. He knew all these things, yet he never hesitated. Never hesitated. But Jesus also knew the glory that awaited him. If you might go back to chapter 16 with me again and look at verse 21. Notice at the very end of verse 21, that last phrase. And on the third day be raised. You see that? And if you go to Matthew 17, verse 23, what is the last phrase of verse 23? And he will be raised on the third day. And if we go back to our text, Matthew 20, verse 19, and he will be raised on the third day. You see that three, rep three repetitions of that same phrase. Jesus knew the suffering that awaited him. He never hesitates. But he also knew the glory that awaited him. And that's why I've brought John 17 into the mix. If, you know, you've got your bulletin uh, holding the place in John 17. If you would turn there now and keep your fingers in Matthew 20. We're going to look at a number of verses this morning. But in John 17, Jesus is praying. Uh, he, his, one of the phrases in the Gospel of John that's really important is this phrase, the hour, his hour had not come. If you read the Gospel of John, look for that phrase. As people are trying to kill him, uh, he eludes them, and we're told that he eludes them because his hour had not come. But when we look at John 17, verse 1, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. You see that? Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. See, Jesus is awaiting, he sees the awaiting glory. He says, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the the world existed. What an extraordinary verse that is, isn't it? Verse 5, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's the second person of the Trinity, the very Son of God who dwelt in God's presence, who is God, very God of very God, who existed out of all eternity uh, in this glory. Jesus knew the suffering that awaited him. He also knew the glory that awaited him. And we can make some application of this right now. Why is Jesus doing this? We're going to look at that a little more closely here in just a second. But uh, this glory that awaits Jesus at this juncture uh, is also going to be uh, spread around a little bit, if you will. For those who are in Christ Jesus, what is going to be the effects of this? We're going to get to join in that glory, are we not? 
I mean, in one sense, God shares his glory with no other. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the glorified bodies that await us. I have no idea what they're going to look like. I know we're going to recognize each other. I also know we're going we're to have to look different. I'm going to have to look different. If I showed up in heaven looking like this, I think you'd all think I got skipped over with the glorified body. <laughs> so we're all going to have to look different. What are we going to look like? It's going to be fantastic. We're not going to be comparing ourselves to one another. We're just going to be loving each other. We're going to want what's best for the other guy instead of the selfishness that we know so well now where we want what's best for us. Isn't that wonderful? That's the glory that I'm referring to. Of course, uh, as we look at the suffering that Jesus endures, uh, we also know that between us and glory, there's going to be suffering that we're going to have to endure as well. Uh, But the point here is Jesus knew the suffering that awaited him, and he knew the glory that awaited him. My second observation refers to the plan. The plan. If you go back again to chapter 16 with me, to verse 21, Jesus, well, Matthew tells us that from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. You see the word must there? He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed on the third day. Uh, This word must is a very important word. It refers to the holy plan of God. And another reason why I brought in John 17 is because there's a lot of places we could go in the Bible to get a glimpse of this plan. Uh, But John 17 is is one really special place. Uh, If you'll go back to John 17 with me again and look at starting with verse 6. Jesus is continuing in his prayer with the Father. And he says, I have manifested your name. And look at what comes next. To the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Now look at verses 9 and 10. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All are mine, all mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Here we see the plan. Uh, The holy plan of God. That there's a people who are chosen out of sovereign grace, which we looked at last week before the foundation of the world. God has sovereignly chosen a people. And here's the plan. He's going to give these people to the Son. And here's another part of the plan. The Son is going to come in the person of Jesus Christ and live a a perfect, sinless life. And He's going to go to Jerusalem and He's going to die on a cross 
at the altars of His very own justice in order to redeem this group of people. And on the third day, He's going to be raised to accomplish the salvation for this people. And there's another part of the plan. The Holy Spirit will apply this salvation to this people. I was thinking of um, uh, Jesus' words to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Uh, as we were uh, uh, going through our Bible study on Wednesday, that passage came to my mind as we were looking at one of the uh, verses out of Proverbs. And some of you maybe are familiar with that story. It's right after Jesus is crucified. Jesus has now been raised, and some of the women have seen Jesus, and they're making these announcements. And there's these two disciples who are really kind of uh, their, their hopes are dashed, and they're walking out of Jerusalem back to their hometown of Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile walk, and the text tells us that their hearts are downcast. And this stranger comes up to them and says, you know, uh, what, are you guys, what are you guys doing? Uh, they're having a conversation, and the stranger says, what are you guys discussing? And they, we can only imagine, they probably looked at the stranger like, are you nuts? Haven't you, where have you been? You know, Jesus of Nazareth, this man who's holy prophet from God, he's been crucified. We had thought he was the one who was to come. Well, now they didn't know what to think. And the stranger says, man, don't you guys know nothing? And beginning with the, 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 the words of Moses and the prophets, he begins, to, he begins to explain to them that the Messiah and must suffer and must die and be raised on the third day. In other words, what this stranger does is he enlightens the disciples into the holy plan. You got to see here, there's a plan. This isn't willy-nilly here. This, things aren't, the, the wheels haven't come off this thing. There's a plan. You remember what I said last week? God's not frustrated. There's a plan. And this thing is gone, this thing is headed, this thing is going just as it's planned. And their hearts, we're told by the text that their hearts begin to burn within them, burning with hope. They're thrilled at these words. They want to hear more. They get to their house, they're about to go in, and the stranger acts like he's going to go another way. And they say, no, 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 come on in, come on in, let's, let's fix a meal, enjoy a meal with us. So the stranger comes in, and, and they prepare a meal, and they set the meal before the table, and then the stranger begins to bless the Bless the food that's on the table. And the moment he does that, their eyes are open and they see they've been walking with Christ. Jesus had been walking with them, explaining to them the holy plan. He must go to Jerusalem. Well, the apostles do the same thing in their gospel presentations. For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says to them, for I deliver to you as of first importance... This is first importance. We have to always remember that the gospel has to be of first importance. It can't be of secondary importance or tertiary importance. It can't be fourth or fifth or eighth on the list. It has to be first on the list. As soon as we start making it second on the list, we're on our way down. Everybody that makes that second on the list heads down. You're actually heading down before you formally make it second on the list. It has to be of first importance. The Apostle Paul says, For I have delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, and listen to this, in accordance with the Scriptures. In other words, in accordance with the holy plan. This plan out of eternity. 
that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Paul repeats himself. He's emphasizing this. This isn't just, God just didn't think this up one day and say, okay, it'd be nice to do this. This has always been the plan. It's always been the plan. It's the holy plan of God. In order for this plan to be carried out, Jesus must, you see the importance of that word? He must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. He must be killed. On the third day, he must be raised. And the good news, the life-transforming news, is that Jesus accomplished it. He did it. It's done. And because and only because Jesus has accomplished this, we, we can have salvation. That's life-transforming news. These are life-transforming words. Now, so far I've been talking about all of this on the, on the divine side, on God's side, if you will. I have a couple of points I want to I just go over very briefly about the human side. And the first thing that I would like to point out is that our condition is so grave that it required such a severe remedy. Our condition is so grave that it required such a severe remedy. When we look to the cross, we see how severe our condition is. We see it by the measures that God had to go through in order to accomplish our salvation. I remember being a kid, I remember thinking, why couldn't God just say, you know what, your sins are forgiven. I used to think he could just do that. I suppose many kids think that. and I have a sneaking suspicion that many adults think that too. He's God, he can do all things, right? He can just say, you know, let's quit fussing over all this stuff. Just listen, you guys are all right. Come on up into heaven and... We're just going to have a good time. Forget about all that stuff. I'll forget all about that stuff. And everything's just going to be wonderful. Well, the Bible teaches us that there are things that are even impossible for God to do. For example, it's impossible for God to lie. You've heard me say these things before. We have to be reminded of them from time to time. But it's impossible for God to violate His justice. You can't just say, come on up into heaven and join me. His justice has to be satisfied. Jesus must go to Jerusalem. We dwell in a society that says we're basically good and all that we need is a little bit of help. And, uh, you know, we continue to say that in spite of the fact that everywhere we look, bad things are happening, especially as we look into our own hearts. Think of all the malice and all the nasty stuff that's in there. Yet we can maintain that we're basically good. That's what we hear constantly. We're basically good. Just need a little help. With a little help. We'll look to the cross. That dispenses with all of that. In fact, that is what the Apostle Paul refers to as the offense of the cross. That's what's offensive about the cross. Because the cross doesn't merely suggest that we might be just a little bit worse than what we're maintaining. The cross makes it perfectly clear that we're utterly lost. Utterly lost. 
by the, the, the severe measure that Jesus had to go through to save us. You know, the depths of the crisis is displayed by the ends that are required to remedy the situation. Now, let's get back to one of the questions I brought up in the, in the beginning for our next point. You know, why is Matthew, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, repeating this message three times? Why is he repeating that? We might say he's doing it for emphasis. Sometimes things are repeated for emphasis. And I think that that would be, that would be true if we, you know, if we, if we, were, if we were in Bible college and the instructor asked us on a test, why does Matthew repeat this passage three times? If we said emphasis, I don't think that that would be, the, would be a wrong answer. Uh, if that's all we said, though, I would say it would be an incomplete answer. I would think we'd want to say something about blindness. Yes, he's emphasizing it. But he wants to show us the blindness. If we go back to chapter 16 again, in fact, if you go back to the, to the context of that passage, you know, verse 21, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things, from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed on the third day be raised. Now, what's verse 22 say? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Peter's trying to talk Jesus out of going through with the holy plan. Of course, he doesn't understand that. He loves Jesus. He doesn't want anything to happen to Jesus. But notice how Jesus responds. Verse 23, But he turned and said to him, said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. That's a strong rebuke, isn't it? You are a hindrance, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. No, they don't get it. We wouldn't, have got, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't get it either. Do they get it in chapter 17? No. Do they get it in chapter 20? No. We'll see that next time. Take my word for it for then, but I'll just say, share this with you now. We know that they didn't get it because they're still fussing over who's going to be the greatest. Yeah, that old subject comes up again. <laughs> no, they, they don't get it. Their eyes haven't been opened yet to this facet of the truth, which is really an important facet. But here's the good news. The good news is there are going, they're going to get it. And in fact, they're going to be getting it pretty soon. They're going to get it when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And these words that they don't get right now are going to become the center of their preaching and teaching. And they're going to go through all of Palestine and from there throughout the whole known world preaching this message. And the Holy Spirit will accompany the preaching and proclamation of that message. And God's church is going to explode. You remember the introduction? 
This message has awesome capabilities when it is accompanied by the Holy Spirit. And that's the point of this blindness. Can we see these things? We ask ourselves, let's ask ourselves this morning if we can see these things. I'm not asking if you can see them perfectly because no one in this room, including myself, sees them perfectly. But can you see them? If you can't see them, then we have to look to the one. You know the one who's part of the plan that applies this? The Holy Spirit? We've got to get on board with the plan. We can't make our own plan. We've got to get on board with the plan. And it's the Holy Spirit's job to apply this stuff to our lives. You know, for the coffee hour on Friday, I hope to do, I'm, I'm trying to learn this song. I, lo I love these lyrics. Listen to the lyrics of this song. Spirit of the living God, open up my eyes. Show me the pride that blinds me. Stoop to my weakness, mighty as you are, and show me Jesus as I ought to see him. I really don't even care how the song goes. I want to sing those words. Even if it's a nasty song, I want to sing those words. The second verse, Father, may your living word penetrate my heart and undo the lies that bind me. Shine in my darkness, mighty as you are, and make me know you, truly know you. This song rightly is turning people to look to the Spirit of God for the illumination of these things. That's the only place where we're going to get them. This morning, as I was always praying about this service, I was asking the Lord to illuminate us, including myself. When I pray, I don't just say, oh, Lord, teach them. I never say that. I always say, Lord, teach us. I want to hear from God this morning, too. And we hear from God as His Word is expounded accurately. That's when we hear His voice. I want to hear from Him, too. The song rightly points us to the Holy Spirit for illumination. So we see that this message here has plenty of power, doesn't it? Explosive power. These words are life-transforming. May we constantly call on the Holy Spirit to open our blind eyes. And may we call on Him to humble our foolish pride. And if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't understand this, doesn't see this, then look to the Holy Spirit. Look to the Holy Spirit to be taught. Look to the Holy Spirit to have your eyes open, your ears open. And for those of us who've walked with the Lord for a while, uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that we could all benefit from being able to see a little more. Uh, would you like to see a little more? Would get part of, become part of the plan. Look to the one who can show us, the one who can teach us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these life-transforming words. We recognize the power of these words, Lord. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful message that we have here, O oh Lord. Uh, the old, old story, the gospel story. We thank you, O oh Lord, for this great plan that you, that you have put together out of eternity. Uh, we, we don't understand. We, we, we don't know of a beginning or of a day when the plan began, but we know, O oh Lord, it was always in your mind. We thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has accomplished this. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is applying it. And we thank you, O oh Father. We thank you, O oh Father, for your grace. And we thank you for these life-transforming words. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would transform us, even now, as we meditate and store these words in our heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.
Everyone said, Amen.